BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're listening to The Empowered Woman, Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. A place for inspiration, empowerment, and personal development showcasing badass women from all over the world, giving tips on personal development, mindset, and healing. I'm your host, Olivia, transformational success coach for spiritual female entrepreneurs. Now let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Woman, Badass, and Unfiltered podcast. Today, I have a Phenomenal guest. Well, I always have phenomenal guests, but this one's just like extra phenomenal because of who she is and what she does for the world. You know, when I decided on um, the word badass for my, the women that I have on this show, it was really the best way that I could explain what they do for this world. And, you know, I'm, and also give some freedom to just, you know, curse a little bit uh, because I'm no saint. Praise God, though. Um, But um, she is really a woman that is making the world go round. Her name is Marla Batista, and she is the author of My Thoughts Abandoned and the co-author of Brave Women, Strong Faith. She is a freelance writer, blogger, and speaker. She has most recently spoken on TEDx, and I have the pleasure and honor of having her here today. Um, She's earned her Bachelor's of Arts in Communications from Maryland University College. Marla also works on the Military Spouse Advisory Council. She is a military spouse, hey, Um, at Caliber Home Loans. There she educates, collaborates, and leads initiatives to prevent and eliminate, eliminate veteran homelessness. Her passion is helping people in need. She does so as the co-founder and CEO of the Batista, the Batista Project, Inc., a nonprofit organization providing for homeless community members in Tampa, Florida. Um, her link to her nonprofit organization is linked below. I'm also going to add her Instagram as well. So definitely check her out. She is absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. You are an amazing breath of fresh air and I am loving this coral shirt on you today. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to just share a little bit about your story and what led you to making this nonprofit? Yeah. So first of all, Olivia, I want to say thank you for calling me a badass because I absolutely, I call it gangster. That's kind of my thing. Uh, but I like badass too. Um, 
But what led me to establishing this nonprofit, um, like you just said, I'm a military spouse. I'm an army spouse, uh, 14 years. My husband's been in for 18 years. Um, and, uh, we were super young and, you know, we got married 30 days after we met because that was also badass, but not in a good way. <laughs> but here we are 14 years later, still, you know, not kicking the bucket. I guess you can say. Um, and um, so we have this nonprofit together, the Bautista Project, which is a nonprofit that provides for homeless community members. And we are currently stationed in Tampa, Florida. Uh, my family's moved all over the world and we have established this nonprofit all over providing for people in need because I was once a person in need. Um, I was actually homeless when I was younger. Um, as a child, I had a super traumatic childhood. My biological father um, actually passed away when I was six. And my mom passed away when I was nine years old of breast cancer. And I was left with someone who abused me um, until adulthood, until I turned 18 years old. And I was thrown out onto the streets with nothing but a trash bag full of dirty or full of clothes that that was all I had. Um, and I had to learn how to navigate the world alone. And um, that was really hard for a young woman. You know, that was hard for me as a young woman um, in the, I would say maybe late nineties, early two thousands. Um, that was a really hard time in my life. And so um as someone who experienced homelessness, I would eat at local churches. I stayed at a shelter, a battered women's shelter one time. Uh, that wasn't the best experience I've ever had. Um, personal security is a fundamental human right. And when you are homeless, that right is violated every single day. Sleeping on the streets deprives you of your fundamental right of personal security. Sleeping in a shelter that is crowded where people violate you or your belongings, that's violating your personal security, your fundamental right. And um, so I promised myself that if I ever overcame homelessness, that I would spend my life giving back to people in need. So that's exactly what I do as the co-founder and CEO of the Bautista Project. We not only provide for homeless community members, but we go above and beyond by providing individualized services for them um, because we're not all the same. We have unique needs and we like to um, work towards them getting to a better place in their life. And by grouping them all together doesn't empower them. We have to tackle homelessness one individual at a time. And that's what we do. Um, and so that was that was something that I experienced as a young woman uh, was going into, you know, being 18. And, you know, I, I wanted the best for myself. I even started community college. I graduated from high school. I started community college when I was 17. I had got a job. I was doing well for myself, but I couldn't sustain um, because one, I was just mentally young. I was immature. I didn't know how to sustain working a full-time job and going to college at night at 17. It was a lot. And, um, and then on top of that, I was on the verge of homelessness and ended up being homeless during that time. And so I ended up quitting school. I ended up losing my job. 
and I, I lost everything um, because I no longer, when I got kicked out of my home, I no longer had a vehicle to go to work. I no longer had any support. And, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, if you were being abused, how are you being supported? And I always say, you know, when you, when you look at people's choices, um, as someone who's out in the world, we always think people have a choice between good or bad, but that's not always the case. Some people have a choice between bad and worse. And for me, being in an abusive home and being violated physically day after day was easier than being on the streets. It, it was easier for me. And that sucks. That sucks to say, um, but it was a truth. And so once I was on the streets, I realized that everyone's different. Everyone has a different idea of what life should be like for them. Everyone has a different education level. Everyone has different life goals. Everyone has different beliefs. Um, and so I would get put in these programs where, um, you know, all of these people, you know, needed, had their basic needs being met, meaning we had food and clothing and, and our basic physiological needs, but then they would group us all into these same educational programs that for me, it wasn't empowering. It, it didn't build me because I already had a high school diploma. I already knew how to get into college. You know, those were things I knew how to write a resume. These are things that I already knew how to do. And by you using your resources or your organization, using your resources to teach me that it kind of just, it was just irrelevant to me. So you were wasting your resources. So I created this whole strategy on ending homelessness and how to combat it one individual at a time by meeting their specific needs and not moving on until their needs are met. And then going to the next level and the next level and the next level. Because when we do that, we use fewer resources and we have a greater probability of ending an individual's homelessness. I love that. Thank you so much for, you know, sharing your story and just the things that you've overcome, you know, you didn't go into crazy detail, but like the bad first worse is, is a real situation for a lot of people. So many people haven't had, you know, they just have smaller traumas, right? And they just think that, that everybody has that, but a lot of people have major traumas in their lives. Like you lost your father at six and your mother at nine. And it, 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 that's, I mean, to be where you are today is absolutely amazing. And it's so inspiring. And you're the right person to be doing what you're doing because you can go from your approach of actually knowing what it was like and then actually helping end this systemic issue. Mm-hmm. But it's just continuing to grow. Um, I, I was watching this thing on um, slums we don't have slums in the United States, but one in every seven people in the world live in a slum. Mm. Like, wow. and, and they're, they were also talking about how, you know, there, a lot of these countries, their approach is so generalized mm-hmm. and it's, it's for, you know, they build these apartments basically, but there's no land. A lot of the people that live in the slums have animals and they do cattle work and stuff like that. So it takes away from their entrepreneurial thing. So it's, it's a bad or worse option. 
and at least with what they've got, they created, they have a sense of ownership. Um, And I think you just shining a light on the fact that this is the reality that a lot of Americans have to deal with um, is very, very important. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, This is, like you said, a systemic issue. There are individuals who have contributed to their own homelessness, but many people experiencing homelessness are the result of an issue, of some other issue, whether that be them losing their parents, whether that be them having severe medical issues, whether that be currently or recently and currently, people passing away due to COVID, the breadwinner of the family passing away and that family having no way to financially move forward. Those are real things that happen every single day that people cannot control. I can't control if I have a heart attack right now. I can't control if my husband, who is the breadwinner of my family, who sustains my family's financial well-being, if he passes away right now, I can't control that. And if that were to lead my family into homelessness, unfortunately, I couldn't control that. But it is up to me to do whatever I can to not enter homelessness. But as a child, you don't, you don't have that choice. You don't have that option. You don't have that say so. So when people say, oh, they made a bad decision. Well, that's not always the truth. If you look here at the cost of living where I am in Tampa, Florida, it is crazy ridiculous. You need at least $24.10 an hour to be okay. And our minimum wage just increased here to $10. $10. And, and $24, like I, I was looking at like, like apartments and stuff like that for rent, they start out at like $1,800. For one bedroom. Yeah, exactly. Like, (laughs) so it's it's not like you're going to go from having absolutely nothing to being able to consistently pay that amount of money. No, and we're not having an honest conversation about homelessness in America. We're not having an honest conversation about how to prevent homelessness. We are talking about things like, well, if you just increased your income, well, how can someone increase their income working at McDonald's? Are they gonna go demand a raise? How does that work? Because increasing your income to me means you have to further your education, which takes time. You have to get a second job, which takes away energy and time, you know? None of these things are instant. Oh, just increase your your income and you'll be fine. Okay, let me go do that. I'm going to go tell my boss right now that I cannot live off of this $10 and I need you to increase my income. That's not how this works. And then if you add, you know, parents who have children, um, again, if you're looking at the choices that people are making during the times of COVID when daycare centers are shutting down and, and that parent is still required to go to work. What does that look like for a single parent today? Does that mean I have to leave my child home alone, which isn't okay? Or does that mean I have to take my child to work, which isn't okay? When are we going to have an honest conversation? Um, And one thing I do appreciate in these times, and I know it's difficult for all of us here in America, um, but it affects us all differently. 
we are all affected by this pandemic. We are all affected by the crisis that we're having, not only in our country, but globally, right? But the way it's going to affect my family is different from the way it's going to affect Elon Musk's family. You know what I mean? It's different. And so when we start to have those real conversations, just because you may not need a stimulus or just because you may be okay, doesn't mean that this person that was already on the brink of homelessness before COVID ever happened is okay. They are absolutely not okay. When their hours are getting cut from work, they're not okay. When people are living paycheck to paycheck, every dollar matters. And all of these systemic issues like predatory lending services and all of these other issues that come into play are making lives worse for those people. So what do they do? What do we do? You know, what our organization does is we supplement, we, t- we step in and supplement um, when it's needed. So if we have like, say for instance, a, a veteran, uh, a homeless veteran who's working and then his hours get cut, we want to make sure that he can still live at the standard, at least at bare minimum that he was already living. So we want to supplement that income. And that's actually something that other countries have done. They have been successful at. And that's the things that we're looking at is we want to make sure that what we're doing is successful and what we're doing matters to those who need it the most. Um, As an organization, as a nonprofit organization, your impact should matter before anything else your impact should matter not your salary not you know what what everyone's making not how good you look your impact and so if you if you ever look at what we do in the Bautista project you know that impact is our priority we go to the streets there are friends and there are family members and we call them that they are not some random homeless person. They're our friends. They know me by name and um, they know everything about my family, my husband, my children. They know us um, because that's what makes their lives different. That's what makes them grow. That's what empowers them to do better for themselves is by having real support. And, you know, no one out there can say, that they've lived their entire life without support and they've done just fine. We've had support at some point in our lives. We've had some type of support that have helped us put, that have pushed us to go to the next level in our lives. And so why, why can't they have that too? You know, they deserve that support just as much as any of us. And so that's our goal is just to make sure that they know that they belong in our community because they are a part of our communities and, and they matter to us. And, um, you know, we want everyone to understand that they're loved and that they're cared for. Um, and again, America treats homelessness as an out of sight, out of mind issue. And so, you know, we only are bothered when we're bothered, right? So I don't care about homelessness until someone bothers me about it. Then it's like, I live my day every day in this bubble. And, you know, I don't think these people exist, but we all exist. You know, we don't think about these, these trafficking situations until it's brought to our attention, but it happens every day, whether you see it or not. And so I, I really would like everyone to start having real honest conversations and also setting real expectations for our friends on the streets. We can't expect them to do something we wouldn't do. 
like go to job interviews without taking a shower or eating or being prepared because that's not something we would do. I wouldn't do it and you wouldn't do it either. If you hadn't mm-hmm. ate in a week and you hadn't taken a shower in a week and I said, come go to this job interview today, you would probably freak out. But for some strange reason, we expect them to be better than that. We expect them to say, you know what? I'm going to go in here. I haven't had a shower in a month. I haven't ate all week. And I'm going to go to the job interview and ace it. That's unrealistic. And that's not fair because I promise you, if I wake up in the morning and I haven't had my coffee, I'm not doing crap for you. (laughs) I'm telling you now. Yeah, coffee's like a a requirement. I was trying to cut back on the caffeine, but it it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. It makes me it makes me it's it's a thing. But you're so right when it comes to you know we can't expect them to do things that we won't, and we really have to stop looking at it as a them versus us issue versus like you know them being a burden. And no, they, these are people that have had very bad situations happen to them. An accumulation of bad things happening to them over time and have not had the resources to get out of their current situation. And that's why you have your organization. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you. Because you you bring you you shine so much light onto it too. And I just I think about, you know, the certain what you've changed my mindset on things just from interacting with you on multiple, you know, occasions, but it was just for the listeners to know, you know, I um, had this conversation with Marla and then an opportunity came up to start volunteering at an overnight warming center. And so I signed up to start volunteering at this overnight warming center to really gain another perspective because I'm far from perfect um, when it comes to how I viewed homelessness. And she really opened my eyes. You know, we, we get so stuck in our worlds and thinking that everything's this way and our problems are so much bigger than other people's. And um, there's this, Christian song I think it's called it's start right here and it basically says you know we'll you know help people overseas but will we cross the neighbor the street for a neighbor in need and that like hit home because it's like you know we want our blessings in our pockets Mm -hmm. but are we really like doing what we are called to do as Christians and um it was it's just I feel like it gives my life so much more purpose to know that I'm helping. Um, And I mean, it has to give you a lot of purpose to know that you're, you know, giving back. Um, What are some of your success stories? Yeah, I, I absolutely love what I do. And you're right, Olivia, we all have a purpose in life and it's up to us to find out what that purpose is. Um, But we have to do that by listening, right? Mm -hmm. I don't make up my purpose. You can't make up your purpose. Purpose is what gets you out of bed every morning. Purpose is doing something whether you're paid for it or not. Jesus had a purpose, right? We know what Jesus's purpose is. We absolutely do. Um, And he did not get accolades for that purpose, right? 
um, at the end of the day, it, it wasn't great for him, but he changed our world and he did what he came to do, right? Um, and what he was assigned to do. And so giving back to people in need, that is my purpose. Um, and if you've ever read uh, Rick Warren, uh, Purpose Driven Life, that is an amazing um, Christian book. And it's about finding your purpose in life because we do all have one. And if you live your life mundane, waking up, going to work, going to the gym, eating dinner, repeat every single day, when you leave this earth, nobody's going to remember you. No, you won't leave a legacy. Your legacy will die with you. Um, And we don't want that, right? None of us want that. We want our lives to be of value. We want to, when we passed on, when we pass on, we want to be remembered for something great, right? Because I don't know anybody that said, oh, when I die, I don't care. Just, I don't want anybody to remember me. That's not the case. We want to be remembered for something great. We want to be remembered for being a good human. Um, and I do believe in good humans. Um, I believe that, you know, the world is made up of good people. Um, and unfortunately, there are a few bad people too. But the world is is something that God created, right? So it's not evil. He didn't create and intend this thing to be evil. His creation is beautiful. And so when we look at that, we have to realize that, yes, this is, this is, we are all a part of this earth, right? We all have a purpose. All of our lives matter and all of our lives matter to one another. And when you said that we're willing to go overseas, we're not willing to cross the street, that is exactly what we do and what I speak about and what I want to educate people about is because if it was your mom, Olivia, if it was your dad, if it was your uncle or your aunt or your grandma, you would beg everyone to help her or him. You would beg everyone to help. But when we see these people we don't know, we kind of, we, we tend to, you know, remove ourselves from their situation. We tend to say, well, that's not me. Well, what happens when there's a catastrophe like 9-11? We didn't know those people. There are many people that did know them, but I personally didn't know anybody there, but my heart hurt just as much. I felt bad for them all and I wanted to do something to help. And the same thing with, with the Holocaust. I didn't know any of those people, but I was affected by that tragedy as all of us were. That changed our world, right? Um, because a lot of our families were people who went to war. A lot of, some of our families were, you know, people in Germany at that time. Some of our families were, you know, somewhere in Europe who were affected by this tragedy. And when we stop to think about that, we have to remember, we do all have a part. And I believe I did not answer your question. What was your question? I don't remember, <laughs> but I got to thinking, I got to thinking and it like Saturday morning, I was volunteering and um, there was this guy there um, and he was talking about his two kids. Mm. And he has a, I think he has a daughter and a son. I forget how old they were. I think four and 10. Oh my God. But it literally, I realized in that moment how I didn't ever think about them having families mm. and loved ones and, you know, 
children. I never like be, and it, it just, it showed me so much about like just who I am as a person. I'm like, God, man, you're working on me. But seriously, it's just like, these are everyday people that are, are down on their luck. They, they've got, you know, yes, they might've made some mistakes in life and yes, they might've put themselves in those situations, but at the same time, they're still human. They're still, they still deserve to be treated with respect. And, um, you know, what, what type of country are we becoming at this point? Um, I mean, I talked to a lot of people from, from different countries, they're heritage wise having, you know, being first generation, but knowing about their culture and being so much more helpful. And um, just, just from the aspect of if you've drank too much, how many of your American friends will just let you sleep it off by yourself? And how many of like, let's say my Hispanic friends will take care of you while you're sick. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's those common customs, like that they, they have more of a community feel. And I think we've kind of lost that touch in a lot of our cities in the United States. Yeah, we definitely have. I agree with you. Um, we've lost our sense of community. We've lost our sense of belonging. We used to say it takes a village to raise a child. Now we're like, don't even touch my child. Don't even look at my child. And, you know, I still believe that. I still believe in that village um, because I've, one, I've always needed support, right? Because I, I was a young person without support. So I know what it's like to not have that support. But, you know, there's some people who have a privilege to where they don't realize how much support they've actually had in their lives. Um, because, and, and that's not a, that's not a color, a race, a class system. That is just all of us. Sometimes we don't even realize how much support we've had. If you've had support where you were in college even, and you know, you needed five bucks for pizza and you called your mom and she, you know, put a pizza on her credit card, that support you, she didn't starve you. You know, when you didn't have gas and somebody lent you $5 to put in your tank, that's support. You know, when somebody let you crash on their couch instead of making you sleep on the concrete, that's support. And so we kind of take those things for granted. And so now we get to these places in our lives where we're okay. And we're like, nope, I've never needed support. I've never needed anyone's help. I got here all by myself. Even me, as much tragedy as I've suffered in my life, there are people who have supported me along the way. Counselors, they don't have to be your family. Guidance counselors, corrections officers. There are people who literally want it better for me in my life. And that's also support. That's support that has helped me. Um, but we've lost that sense of community. You know, we don't talk to our neighbors anymore. Um, we don't, we don't interact with people we see on the streets. If we see somebody on the street, we look at our phone and we, we kind of hide from them, even though we're there, we're making ourselves invisible. We're shrinking ourselves and that's not okay. Have a conversation. You'll realize that the world is good and it's not because of digital media or social media, right? It's because of the things that we see there, we believe that's the world. We don't realize that this one story, this one incident that we read about was one. It wasn't 
300 million or 7 billion, right? It was one, but we turned that one story into 7 billion people when that's not the case. That's not, there's a lot of things that happen in our world that are not common, but because we saw one story about it, we believe that this happens all the time and we've got to protect ourselves and our children. When that isn't the case, we're creating this fear amongst us. And this is what we do in America is we, we survive and thrive off of fear. People sell things to you because of fear. Yeah. Yeah. I've been noticing it more and more, even certain I'm getting tired of the, these almost false prof, prophets. You, you can so, kind of tell these churches for money. Um, they, uh, it was so interesting. I heard it on a, I think it was TBS on YouTube. Mm-hmm. and our TV, TVN or mm-hmm. yeah the Bible network mm-hmm. they were they were talking about and I'm going to do it just like they did it the prophetic warning for 2022 if you just make a $29 donation we will have you all set up and prepared for what is coming this year um, just to armor your family with prayer because it's it's gonna you know just the way they were even talking and saying it I I knew they were targeting it towards older people that watch uh QVC Mm -hmm. that was their demographic Mm -hmm. but it was still just like why why do we have to fear people into prayer that is not that that don't even make sense it doesn't um, but we were, we were taught this, right? We were taught all of these things that we believe today. Um, and even, even if you, you look back at, at the Bible and the teachings of, of Jesus, right. And, and he speaks about going to the streets and he speaks about sitting with his people and eating with them. And if you've provided for them, then you've provided for me. Right. And, but we don't do that, but yet we say we follow that, but we won't actually follow it, you know, and, you're right. I mean, I can't, I can't think of uh, the guy's name, but I remember the prayer cloths. They were selling the prayer cloths and they were selling the holy oil. And I'm like, so you, what you got a gallon of stuff from Israel? Where'd you get it? Like, what is that? Where are you pouring it in the thing? Or are you just selling an, an idea? Are you selling an idea to people and you're getting rich off this idea because you are instilling fear in them? And there so often has this happened, not just, you know, with false prophets, even in our military community, right? We hear that all the time where they say, oh, you got, you can't, we have, we can't say anything about when they're coming home because, you know, things can happen. And there has never been an instance where a plane was shot down leaving Afghanistan or Iraq coming back to America, not one. Why do we think that would happen? Who made us Who made us believe that's possible? Because it was so easy to instill this idea into your head that, you know, be fearful. You know, I was told by someone um, about homeless community members. Uh, when I say, you know, I go out to the streets and I hang out with them and I take my kids and, you know, all the homeless community members know all of my children. And one lady said to me, you need to be careful because they will stab you. I was like, what? They're going to stab me. I was like, this is crazy because I've worked with homeless community members for more than 10 years. And I also was one and I have never been stabbed. Not once. 
not once. So for you to tell me that, and I'm pretty sure I don't, I don't think you're speaking from experience. I think you heard this from someone else who heard this from someone else who heard it. And you want to instill that fear in me. I don't have that. Right. And God did not instill that in us. Right. He said, you have faith over fear. Exactly. Because faith and fear can't live in the same space. Like you can't, it, it doesn't work that way. When I'm feeling anxious and nervous, I pause and pray. Like, and really been working on it so much more as surrendering to God is my theme this year. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, I'm not saying it's easy, but yeah, they're, they're not the same thing. No, they're not. But for some reason, we're led to believe that these leaders, these religious leaders want us to believe in this fear but then they also want us to have faith they don't they don't go together but if you are following that leader and you not following the word of god then you're going to go with that leader wherever that leader is going you know but but god gives us a discernment right and says you know better you know right from wrong and if you don't ask me mm-hmm. Pray, kneel before the Lord and pray. Um, but that's what our world's come to. And our world has become a very selfish, um, a very, uh, you know, a singular individual type of society where only I matter and no one else around me matters. And that's not okay. That has affected the way we live in every sense of the word when that's, um, associated with our incomes you know we watch these people rise to the top and then they have these people working for them at the bottom that can't even survive you know and it's like but these are your companies you know you're this big ceo you're making billions of dollars but yet you have homeless people who work for you that are on your payroll you should be ashamed of yourself right you should absolutely be ashamed of yourself because you're not contribu- contributing to the betterment of our society. You're creating a problem that then someone else is coming in to fix while you're living a life of luxury with your money. And someone else is donating money to organizations like mine to help solve this problem that you helped create. How is that okay? How is that making the world go round? because that doesn't make any sense. But until we stop being, uh, until we stop, you know, until we start to be logical about this, these issues, not just homelessness, but all the issues that affect our communities, you know, we are growing as a society, we're evolving, right? So we're coming from this place where we talk about women, women's bodies and all these things, right? And we started at a place where women couldn't even speak in public unless they were spoken to. We're coming from a place where women were told how to look by a man. We are coming from a place where women weren't allowed to have an opinion, a voice, or an education. And so now that we're, we're, we've evolved to the point that we're at today, we have to realize there are a lot of things that we were taught back then that are absolutely not okay it wasn't just one subject of thing. It wasn't just slavery. That was just that one thing that was bad that we were taught. It wasn't just the treatment of women was a one bad thing that we were taught. It wasn't about just the treatment of uh, 
community members with mental health issues that we were taught because back in the day they were just throwing you out right if you were if you have mental issues which now today we live with they were putting those children those mothers in basements and locking them up and and doing all these crazy treatments and things on them because we were learning right and we didn't know better but every every step of the way we learned something new and now today we would never i have a son who has autism i would never just throw my son away i would never give my son away because of that i love my son and he's normal just the way he is you know we we love him and um we cherish the individual that he is but until we can start having this real conversation about society and how we've literally put certain individuals or certain ideas on the backs of others to deal with, like mental health issues, like homelessness, like women's rights, you know, those things we've kind of put on the backs of other people, like religion, right? The way the religious uh, Christianity has evolved in America over time is like, whoo. Oh no, that's a whole different show, but it well, has evolved. Yeah, thank God, because I i mean, I was reading Leviticus the other day and I'm just like, no, mm-hmm. I, I just can't. Like I asked a pastor, I was at a serving job and, and he told me it was a pastor. I was like, okay, let me talk to you about Leviticus because I just don't understand why a woman is dirty for 30 days after she has a son, but 60 days after she has a daughter. So like, what, what exactly do you mean by this? Like, like <laughs> what happened when women had their menstrual cycles and seven days of dirtiness and un- yeah, just unclean. Mm-hmm. That's all in Leviticus. And I'm just like, you know, I, I just, I'm anybody that's listening, that's a Bible thumper, you know, tell me, educate <laughs> me. Yeah. We would love, I would, I would also love the education and, and, and the justification of the treatment of our community. Let me know if there's a reason that this is okay, let me know, but I can't find it. I can't find the reason why we ostracize homeless community members. Mm -hmm. I can't find the reason why we assault homeless community members. I can't find the reason why we turn our backs on homeless community members, because I remember that Jesus said, if you do this for any of them, you have done this for me. And that's what I do. I'm doing what I do to please God. I'm not doing what I do to get rich. I'm not doing what I do to, to become famous. I'm doing what I do because it's the right thing to do. And, and I want everybody to do that. And it doesn't have to be taking care of homeless community members. That might not be your purpose, but teaching others, mentoring someone, you know, speaking to someone, supporting children. These are things that our world needs. And together we can make the world a better place, but we can't do it alone. It has to be everyone rolling up their sleeves and doing the hard work. Absolutely. You know, I believe my calling is um, natural disasters. That's Mm. really my jam. Like I love to empower women, of course, but really like my humanitarian effort is natural disasters. And this really made me like this whole entire experience um, has made me think about, well, our natural disasters are increasing all over the world. 
And so many people are becoming homeless due to natural disasters because their homes are literally being, ta- being taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Louisiana had three last year. That's crazy. Wow. And, you know, you being in Florida, you've got 800 miles of coastline and there's a hurricane in Florida almost every year. Um, And it's like, where do the homeless people of those communities go? They go to the streets and they become homeless and we turn our backs on them and we say, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case, but because they they're out there, we don't know the difference because I didn't see you when you had your house. I only see you now. And when I see you now, you look homeless, right? And so because you appear in that manner to me, I will then treat you as less than. That is not okay. And you're right. So many people become homeless. So many people after Hurricane Katrina became homeless. There was no magic book of money that said, you know what? Okay, here's the cost of your house. Here's the cost of everything you was in your house. Here's the cost of, you know, you getting back on your feet. Here's the cost of your vehicle. Here's all of that in up in your hands. Now go start over. Nobody does that. We do what we can, right? But that's what we say. We're doing what we can. Or are we just doing enough to make us feel good? You know, I don't know how natural disaster uh, efforts work, humanitarian efforts work, but I'm assuming that, you know, once this thing hits, right, everybody's all hands on deck. We want to help. We want to do this. We want to do that. And then over time, that help kind of thins, thins. And so there's no one left and those people are still in need of help. But they say, well, we've done all that we can. I'm sorry. We didn't do enough to actually help you get back to the the um, pre-catastrophe state. We don't. We say we've done as much as we could. We've done as much as we were willing to do. Good luck in your life. That's one of the things. I mean, I know that the government said that they added more money to that, but I, I honestly, I'm not sure how... If those resources, I I almost feel like somebody else should be in charge of allocating how those resources are distributed. Mm -hmm. Um, It's taken, you know, I I evacuated from Hurricane Michael in Panama City in 2018. Now I've been back a few times and it has rebuilt a lot of people that had homes, their insurance, you know, was able, but it was, it was two years of living in RVs and stuff like that. And those are people with money right. that, that can do that, you know, like access right. to credit. Absolutely. Everybody, that's not everybody's situation. And life changes, life changes over those two years. And, and if you were on the brink, if you were living paycheck to paycheck at before this happened, imagine what happens in your life in two years, because poverty breeds crime and homelessness, right? So imagine being thrust into poverty and not knowing how to survive, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from or how you're going to be able to get back on your feet. Crime happens because of impoverished, you know, impoverished people, you know, and that's why they say the crime rates are higher in impoverished communities. These, you know, they are in need of things that 
no one's willing to give them. And I get it, America. We're a capitalistic society. We say I've earned mine and you didn't. But is that fair to a child who lost her parents? She didn't have an opportunity to get a job at 10 years old. No one said at 10 years old, hey, Marla, here's a million dollars and a safe place for you to stay until you're 18. No one said, hey, Marla, I'm going to take you into my home until you're 18 and raise you properly. No one. That's why I've had the experiences that I've had. And so when we look at that, I I didn't have a choice, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have a choice as a child. I could have, well, I did have a choice. I could have ran away at 10 years old, but where would I go? Where would I be? You know, what, what would that look like for a child? You know? And so, you know, we've got to change the conversation. We've got to really be honest about the things that are happening, whether again, it be homelessness or natural disasters, because if you're talking about being in a hurricane and I'm waiting two years for relief, life goes on in that two years. Things happen, things change. You add people to your family, people leave your family because of their passing. And so that changes economic status, that changes, right? That changes family sizes and types and and all of these things happen while I'm waiting for this, this relief. In addition to COVID. Exactly. In addition to COVID. And it's the same thing as these people waiting for relief right now because, you know, they got a, a stimulus check for, you know, child tax credit and, and now that no longer exists. And so they're trying to, to, to vote it back in. And, and the people that are voting on the child tax credit are not getting a child tax credit. Mm-hmm. I promise you that. Oh, Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, with that. they're they're affected in different ways and it's like well maybe if they don't get it that they're going to go to work it, it's we we are it's it's a very interesting time in our country and um i'm just marla i'm just thankful that there's people like you that are doing the right thing to help those that are less fortunate thank you i appreciate you too because all acts matter all of them Um, There is no act of kindness that is too small to change our world. If you help put a smile on one person's face, that Capri Sun sugar daddy is having a smile on his face for the rest of the day because of your kindness. So if that is the case, you are helping change the world for the better. You made somebody have a good day. And because of you, they see life a little differently. It's the simplest things. It's the simplest things that we don't even recognize. That smile behind a mask. People don't realize how important and how effective that is in all of our lives, especially during hard times. Thank you. Thank you so much. And guys, her links again are are in the show notes below. Definitely check her out um, if you feel it in your heart to contribute. um, I'm sure you can do so on her website. Absolutely. We've got um, a way you can donate. You can volunteer, whether you're in person here in Tampa, Florida, or virtually. Um, If you want to purchase items directly that go directly to the homeless community members, you can go to our Amazon wish list. There is always a way for you to contribute. And if you can't help 
my organization, there are so many other organizations out there. There are so many opportunities for you to roll up your sleeves and help out. You can go to volunteermatch.org and that is like a search engine for volunteerism. You can put in your interest and your location and it'll show you all of these volunteer opportunities, whether in person or virtually, that you can um, find and be a part of. So check it out. You don't, like I said, Making the world a better place takes all of us everywhere. Not just me, not just the Bautista Project, not just Olivia, everybody. And until we recognize that and until we're willing to roll up our sleeves, the world will not change for the better. Thank you so much, Marla. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Empowered Woman Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. If you found any value in this, please consider sharing and subscribing. Now go out and be a badass. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.